you just sang a song that was not composed on this earth. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. I want to really talk about Mary and Joseph this morning, but for sake of being as brief as I can, I'm just going to undertake Joseph a little bit this morning and then talk a little bit more about Mary tomorrow night when we come back together for our candlelight service. Uh, when we were much younger, uh, this time has flown so fast in our, in our marriage and in our family, it seems like now, and it seems like the older we get, the faster Things are going now. Time just moves so, so quickly. I can remember with great clarity being a student in high school and sitting there watching the clock go and praying, you know, for something to happen quickly uh, and time or in detention hall, you know, whatever, wherever I might have been hanging out. But just thought time moves so slowly when we were young and uh, as we just get older and older, it's moving so rapidly now. There's like a train zooming by a station, it goes so quickly. Well, we, we, uh, uh, when we were first married, Susan worked for American Airlines, and we just really enjoyed, we traveled so much, and then uh, decided to, to start a family, and man, just, it was like, you just wake up one day, and you're like, wow, we have two kids, you know, what happened? And, and uh, we were, we were, we, we traveled a lot for ministry as well, and so we realized, well, you know, we need a will because we're traveling a lot and, you know, God forbid, but something could happen, you know, and, and we have kids now. We need, to, we need a plan for our state and make sure that, you know, uh, things go the way we want them to go. And so we went to see uh, our attorney and uh, our, our attorney said to us, <clears throat> okay, you know, how do you want to, what do you want to do with your assets, you know, and divide them between the boys and, and all of this kind of thing. And then our attorney asked us this question, to whom would you like to assign custody of your children in the event of both of your deaths? Wait, say that again? <laughs> we hadn't really thought about that. We thought about, okay, you know, somebody gets this possession and somebody gets this possession. But the attorney said, to whom would you like to assign the custody of your children in the event of both of your deaths? Well, that seems like something that really could never happen, so way out there. But he said, you have to plan for that. You have children now. Do you want the court to decide what to do with your children? Uh, no. No. I don't want to put that in the fate of some judge's hands or the system's hands. He said, well, then to whom would you like to assign the custody of your children in the event of your death? Now, I want you to, I'm not trying to be morose or morbid, but I want you to consider this question this morning, because this really is part of the Christmas story that I want you to embrace today. If something were to happen to you and your spouse, who would you like to raise your children? If something were to happen to you and your spouse, who would you like to give those children to and say, you raise them in our stead? Now, I want you to grasp the implications of this question, which is part of the Christmas story. Grasp the implications of assigning Titus to someone else. Just grasp the depth of what's going to happen. Because what you're really asking is this, whose habits do you want your child to follow? You may think, well, I just give them to family. Uh, not so quick. Not so fast. Maybe not. You see what I'm saying? Maybe not. What you're really asking is, whose work ethic do you want your son or daughter to adopt for their life? 
What you're really asking is, whose faith would you like your children to follow? What person of faith do you know that you could say, man, I I wish they would grow up to have the faith of this person that I know? That's really the question that's being being asked. You say it would never happen in a million years. I, I was telling my sermon to Susan. We were having lunch one day. She said, what are you going to speak about Sunday? And I was telling her where we're going right here. And she, I said, it's kind of way out there. She said, not at all. And immediately she told me a story. She said, when I was a, a, a teenager, she said, a girl I went to school with, we were friends in high school. I think when she was 15 years old, you were telling me, her parents boarded a small aircraft and that aircraft went down and both of her parents were killed one day. And an aunt adopted her and raised her as if she were the aunt's own daughter. I said, well, I want to know, how did it turn out? She said, well, my friend posted on Facebook recently. Now we're middle-aged. She said, my friend posted on Facebook recently, and here's what my friend said. She said, I just wanted to express my love and my thanks for my aunt who raised me. My parents were killed when I was a child, and my aunt brought me and raised me as her own daughter, and it was there in my aunt's home. My aunt was a devout Christian. You see where this is going? And my aunt shared her faith with me, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior by living in the home of my aunt. And today I know I'm saved, I'm God's child, I'm married to a pastor. And my whole life is about sharing the gospel and making disciples and investing in the lives. I would say, even though it was tragic, it turned out right, didn't it? It turned out right because the right people were assigned custody of that little girl. And they brought her up in their faith. What we're really asking is, under whose protection would you like your children to sleep at night? Who do you know that would help your children discover their gifts and inspire them to find their purpose in this life? Who do you know that you could assign custody of your children to that would influence them to, above all things, find God's plan and God's will for their life and pursue that one thing more than wealth or more than fame or more than popularity but to find God's will and pursue His will, for there is the real measure of success for our lives. What man or woman do you think so highly of that you would want your children to be like that man or woman? See, this is not a small question. This really has some deep implications. This week, uh, leading up to this, as we were thinking about it, we invited you to post a picture uh, on the church uh, Facebook page of your hearth with your stockings hung with care. I think, back up one. That would be Leah, Bobby, Susan, Andrew, and Jack. That would be our fireplace right there. Anybody want to claim this? Is that you? The cooks? Okay. Uh, we just pulled some off this morning. Go ahead. Jolly men bearing gifts. Who are this jolly family? Is that you, Laura? All right. I didn't know you had so many kids. Wow, I've never seen them. Okay. All right. Who's this? 
Jenny Griffin Hagen. Okay, awesome. Who's next? Oh, that's Jared, established 2003. Which Jared is that? All right, that's those Jareds. Okay, awesome. Awesome. That's a good one's right there. I recognize LLK. Okay. All right, all right. Go Army. I think I know who this is. That's a Zeisler, I bet, right there. Yeah. Frazier, Kieran, and Megan. And a little K right there. All right. Who's this? Who is it? Wortley House. Okay. Y'all got some long stockings over there. Y'all got some long legs. There'll be some good gifts in those stockings. Who's this? Porters? Awesome. Doggy's got his own stocking. Who is this? McNair? Oh, you went green. All right. Who is it? Wiley? Okay. Lots of stripes. That's Smith's. That's Smith's. Okay. Hamer and Jed? Hamer. Who names a dog Hamer? That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) So here, what we're saying, I'll leave this here just a minute. When we do this every year, we do this intentionally as a visual representation of our family, don't we? I saw dog stockings, you know, with paws and stuff. But it's a representation, though, of what our little family's like with, with kids and pets and whatever. And uh, like Laura doesn't have five kids, but she's hung stockings for her family members. And, and uh, it's a visual representation uh, of what our family looks like. The question I'm asking you this morning is this. If you couldn't hang those stockings from your mantle, some tragedy happened and they were going to hang from somebody else's mantle, whose mantle would you want them hanging from? Who would take the stockings of your family members and just nail them to their hearth and say, I'll raise them as if they were my own. I'll love them as if they were my own. I'll cherish them as if they were my own. I'll protect them as if... They were my own. Well, this gets us to the Christmas story because here's the deal, really. We're so familiar with Mary and Joseph and the Christmas story that if we're not careful, they become just characters in a story. You see what I'm saying? They just become fictional characters that exist in a, in a fairy tale story you know, of the birth of Jesus, and, and you open the page, and the wise men pop up, and you open a page, and the shepherds pop up, and, you open, and there's Mary and Joseph and a, and a little manger. And I want to challenge you this morning, don't let them just become characters in a storybook to you this morning. These are real people. This is a real man and a real woman. Now Mary's probably a teenager. Most scholars think she's somewhere between 13 and 17 years old when these events happen. She is a young virgin and she is a spouse to Joseph. We're going to talk about that in just just a moment. But they're real people. They have real stories They have real relatives, they have real homes, they have a real family, a real village. And as real people like you and I, it means that God has told their stories in the Bible because there's something you and I need to learn from their stories, to model after in their stories. There's something in their story that's going to bless you here this morning. We're introduced to the family, first of all, in Matthew chapter number 1, where Pastor Aaron was reading just a few moments ago. In Matthew chapter number 1, it says this, The book of the genealogy 
of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, there's two genealogies given for Jesus. I'm sure you already know this. One in the book of Matthew, one in the book of Luke. The genealogy of Jesus given in Matthew is through his earthly father, his foster father, Joseph. It's the legal line of Jesus Christ. The genealogy that comes to us through the book of Luke is the genealogy of his mother, Mary. It's the literal line of Jesus Christ. And Matthew gives you the birth of Christ from the vantage point because it's talking about he's a king. That's what the book of Matthew is about. And it's given you the vantage point of literal, of, of kingly uh, succession, succession uh, to the right of the throne and the crown of Israel. So it comes through Joseph's line. Now when you study Joseph, here's what you're going to be struck with very quickly. Joseph is the most quiet of all of the Christmas characters. Now if you ever had a Christmas play, Joseph couldn't say anything. Okay. He's the most quiet guy in all the Christmas story and in most of the biblical narrative. There are no recorded words of Joseph in any of the four gospel accounts. Not even hello. There's not one recorded word with quotes around it where Joseph is speaking in the entire four books describing the life of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does it mean? He never spoke? No, surely. Surely he had something to say. It just means that the Holy Spirit chose not to record a single word of what he said. So I can only come away with one deduction from these two facts, and that is this. The Bible wanted us to focus on what Joseph did, not what he said. That's the only thing I can come away with. He is one of the major characters in your New Testament. You realize what a big deal it is to sign custody of your child to someone? He's got to be one of the most important people in all the New Testament. Not a word is ever recorded that he said. Why? Because God wants you to focus on what Joseph's actions were, what he did, not about the speeches that he made. Now here's what we know about Joseph. He was a carpenter. That's what we know. A carpenter by trade. So we can infer some things from that. I've traveled to the east and many of you have come with me and you have seen people with that big double man saw cutting boards from a giant log. There's no machinery. There's no automation. It's all done by hand. I can infer that Joseph was a strong man. I have shaken, I I pulled over on the side of the road, got out of the Jeep, walked over there to the carpenters and said, stop sawing a minute, I want to talk to you. And I've shaken their hands. They feel like leather. They are not delicate. Their arms are ropey and lean with muscle. And, 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 and I just infer some things. Joseph was a carpenter in the first century. He was lean and he was muscular. And evidently he had the personality of quiet strength. Here is Mary. She is very young. I can see her long, dark, jet black, dark brown hair, dark eyes, olive skin, kissed by an eastern sun. And here is our first family, if you will. Now, why Joseph is the big question this morning. Why did God assign custody of his baby boy, of of Jesus Christ, to this man, Joseph? All I can figure out is this, that Joseph was the man that Mary was going to need to be her husband. 
Joseph was the earthly father that Jesus was going to need to protect him and provide for him and train him. Now, Joseph doesn't make speeches, but here's what I know. Joseph was the man that God wanted to take care of his son. Could we all agree on that? Whatever you want to say about him and whatever we don't know, here's what we do know. He's that guy that when you look across the room say, who do I want to give my son to? Who's stalking what I like? I'm going to nail Jesus stalking to somebody's mantle. Whose mantle is going to hang from? God Almighty said, Mary and Joseph, those are the people. That's the couple. This is the man I want to take care and rear my own son, the Savior of the world. Now, this should be a big relief to a lot of you men. And maybe some of you women sitting here this morning. There are many men here this morning who are not men of words. You're not men of speeches. You, you understand what I'm saying. You are men of quiet strength. You are men of action. Uh, in Joseph this morning, you have a wonderful role model in the man that God assigned custody of his own son to. You say, well, I'm not a speaker. You don't have to be a speaker to be a godly man and to find the will of God and do something very meaningful in this life. Joseph was not a speech writer or a speak maker or an orator, but he was the father to the son of God, if you will. As we read the Christmas story very quickly, I mean, right out of the gate, we are introduced uh, to Joseph And right out of the gate, Joseph is faced with the dilemma of his lifetime to this point. Let's talk about Joseph's dilemma real quick. I'm reading from verse 18. Now the birth of Christ was as follows. Colon, whatever follows modifies. Here it is. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now here's what you need to know. This is not American This is Eastern culture. Here's what you need to know. In Jewish marriages, there's a three-step process. It's a little different than, than ours. The first step is the engagement phase, the contractual stage. The second phase is the espousal. That's the trial stage, compatibility stage. The third stage is the marriage, the consummation of the marriage. Now, in this day, when Mary and Joseph's day, in this day, the couple had very little input into the contractual stage of the marriage. Most often, the contract, and even today, our friends from Asia tell us all the time, I've been, I've been uh, contracted uh, to a young man, or I've been contracted to a young woman. Our parents have met, we have signed the book. I've been there in the village when they open the book and everybody signs and the speeches are made from both sides of the family. Two people who who probably have never said three things to each other all their lives are now contracted together to be husband and wife. And the couple has very little input. Sometimes the the contract for marriage is made when they're little kids between two families that are best friends, you know. And like your best friend's family and your family, you're like, man, if I ever have a boy, it's going to marry your daughter, you know. And they just go ahead and contract it together without the input of the couple uh, themselves. The second stage, that espousal, that was roughly the equivalent to our engagement, what we know here in the Western world as in engagement. And really the espousal or the engagement was a compatibility phase, lasted about a year usually. And it was that say, okay, we're contracted, but now we're of age where we could actually get married. Let's get to know each other. Now, they didn't date, but I'll use that here because it's what you understand. Let's date and see if we're compatible. 
okay? Let's see if we actually like each other, okay? Let's see if we could actually live together. So they get, it's the get to know you phase where they see if they can actually be compatible together. Then the third stage, of course, is marriage, the consummation of the marriage itself. Now, I say that to give you the time stamp. When the story opens, Joseph and Mary, we read, are espoused. Stage two. The contract has already been made between the families. They're old enough to marry now. So now we're in the let's get to know you stage and see if we're compatible. Let's see if there is any spark or any compatibility here. And it appears as we read the scripture that things are going along quite wonderfully. In my imagination, which is vivid, I can see Joseph and Mary holding hands and walking across the flowered hills of, of, of Nazareth and Galilee is a very beautiful place, as many of you will see next year when we go to Israel. And I can see them walking hand in hand across flowered mountaintops and hills and valleys and looking at the beauty of Israel and giggling and telling jokes and gazing into each other's eyes and falling more and more in love with each other every day that they're together. And here's what the scripture says, before they came together, before stage three, before the marriage could be consummated, Joseph's world was turned upside down. Now you don't get it at a casual reading here. You have to think about what you're reading. Here's what happens. Mary, in the middle of stage two espousal, Get to know you. Are we compatible? Hey, we're falling in love. We, we want to see each other all the time. In the middle of stage two, Mary says, my cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. I'm going to travel across the country to the southern part of the hill country of Judea, down by Jerusalem and Bethlehem where our people are from. I'm going to travel down there and be with my cousin until she has the baby. I'm going to go help her with the delivery and all of this in the south country I'll be gone for several months helping my cousin with her baby that's on the way. So Mary packs a bag and she heads across the country in the middle of her engagement to Joseph. The angel's already been talking to Mary. When Mary arrives in the hill country, John the Baptist's mother greets Mary and says, Welcome, mother of my Savior. The word is already beginning to travel among God's people that something supernatural is at work in Israel right now and God is going to keep His promises. Mary's gone for many months. And when she comes back up north after being gone for many months, there's no hiding what has happened. Are you with me? When she gets home after being gone for several months, she's got a baby bump. Legs are a little thicker. She got a little bump on her belly. Her back's hurting a little bit. She's traveled all the way across Israel. And Joseph comes out to greet her. She's come home after being gone for several months. Man, I've missed you so much. What is going on? You're pregnant. Now here's where the tension starts. Can you imagine? These are real people. This is not a story. These are real people living in a small town. And when she comes home, she's carrying a baby. Now Joseph doesn't know everything about everything, but Joseph knows this one fact. What's that fact? It's not his baby. He's only in stage two. He hadn't got to the consummation yet. I don't know. She's got a baby. That's obvious. She's been gone for months. 
That's a fact. And I know it's not my baby. No doubt Mary pulled him aside and said, we need to go for a walk and talk. Joseph, I am carrying a baby. I know it's not your baby. You know it's not your baby. It's God's baby. Go ahead. You can chuckle right there. You can chuckle right there. It's God's baby. You see, the angel's already spoken to me. Now, does this sound, she sound crazy? An angel appeared to me. And while I was gone, Elizabeth said, you've got the Savior and the Messiah inside of you. And now I've come home after being gone for months. And I want you to know, Joseph, don't be mad, don't be upset. But listen, God's doing something supernatural in me. And you're going to be my husband. God's chosen us. He's going to nail Jesus stocking right to our mantle. We knew Messiah would come. God thinks so much of us. He's going to give us his own son to raise. Now, can you men, just men, just for a moment. Can you contemplate the woman you love giving this speech to you and looking into her eyes and seeing complete sincerity but feeling complete betrayal inside? He knows it's not his baby. Mary's saying something supernatural. Is it, listen, maybe you're having problems this morning in your own marriage. And maybe some things are happening either in your marriage or, or with your in-laws or with your kids and you don't know how to deal with the issues that are coming in your own life this morning. Here's what I want you to do just for about 10 minutes So this morning. You just look at the life of Joseph this morning and watch how Joseph works through this situation with Mary. And I think it will be an inspiration to you this morning to think about how to deal with some of the issues you're facing in your own life. Let me read verse 19 now. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just... Now, husband, they haven't consummated the marriage, but you understand, they're going to be married. They're in the contract, their contractual engagement. It's about to happen. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. He's a good guy. By the way, ladies, some of you have a knack for picking the wrong guy. It's like a gift you have. Amen? Go ahead. We can all laugh right here. Some of you have a gift for this. Then quit picking the same kind of guy. I'm saying it with all kinds of love. Men, some of you pick all the wrong girls. Okay? Stop it. If you've already made that mistake, then do something different the third or fourth time around. Okay? Find a good person. Listen, at some point, shelve handsome and tall and dark. You're saying, and at some point, peel back the layers and try to find a heart that's good. It may not be the package you had in mind. It may not be the wrapper that you were looking for. But there's a whole lot more to life than the wrapper. I just want to tell you that. Try to find a good man to be the father of your children. Try to find a good woman to be the mother for your children. You're going to be way, way happier. That's all. I'm just trying to personal message just just for happiness this morning may want to think differently okay then joseph he's a good man being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly now i want you to know he didn't make any speeches but i respect joseph so much this morning because joseph was a man who wanted to do the right thing he wanted, he wasn't worried about his reputation, he wasn't really worried about, he wanted to do the right thing. And he loves Mary. 
And he's got a dilemma now. And here's the dilemma, in case you don't understand the dilemma. Let me just articulate it. The dilemma is he has to choose between the law and his love. He's got to choose between law and love. Because the law says one thing and love says another thing. No doubt Joseph went to his Bible to try to find some help with his dilemma. Uh, some guidance on how to choose what to do now with Mary in this situation he's been presented with. And, and if he searched his Bible, of course he only had the Old Testament. And in searching through his Bible, probably about the only thing he could find that addressed this situation in all of the Old Testament really is Deuteronomy chapter 24. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it makes provision for a man to divorce his wife if he finds any uncleanness in here. Now, I want to be very clear with what I'm saying. The Bible in Deuteronomy 24 makes a provision for divorce. Did you all hear what I said? So if somebody told you divorce is not in the Bible, it's not true. It's all over the Bible. Jesus looks at Israel and says, I will divorce you. You're an unfaithful nation. You're an unfaithful bride to me, Israel, and I'll divorce you if you're not careful. Now, I'm not saying we should all go get divorced. But when Joseph read the Old Testament, he hit Deuteronomy 24 and he said, okay, legally, she's turned up pregnant. It's not my child. If I find any uncleanness in her, I can, I can sever the contract. We can break the engagement. The law allows for this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But here's the problem. The law also says if she has played the harlot, let her be stoned, executed, public execution, by stoning. Now do you see his dilemma? He says, I can put her away. The law allows for it. I can divorce her. The law allows for me to break this contract. But if I break the contract, the law also says she has to be publicly executed for being unfaithful. And I would never allow that to happen to my Mary because I love Mary so deeply. His dilemma is between what the law says to do and what his heart his love is telling him he should do. By the way, this is what Christmas is about. It's about God sending his only begotten son to solve the problem that we had between God's law that demanded righteousness and God's love that wants to give us forgiveness. So God solved his own problem and he sent his son to be our savior. Now do you remember the woman taken in adultery in the New Testament? They bring this woman and she's been accused and they throw her down in front of Jesus. And they've already, they're already ready to kill her. They're ready to execute her under, under the provision of the law that I just cited. And they said this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Jesus, what do you say we should do for her, with her? You, you see, she was brought for judgment. Jesus said what she really needs is forgiveness. But we're in a dilemma, aren't we, between what the law says and what love says. So Jesus says, all I can tell you, gentlemen, is this. He that's here without sin, let him cast the first stone. You just step on up and execute her. Listen, we're going to look at your life under the same microscope you've looked at her life. And if you think we could look at your life under the microscope and not find any sin, then just fire away, boys. You say, what is he doing to these men? What Jesus is doing to these men is he's telling them the reason he came. 
In just a moment, he looks at this woman and said, Woman, where are your accusers? She said, No man doth accuse me, Lord. He said, Neither do I go and sin no more. You say, What in the world is happening in that story? Jesus is saying to her, to them, and to us, This is why I came. This is what Christmas is about. You see, I've come down here to satisfy the righteous demands of the law with my own righteousness. I've come to fix your problem between law and love. And by my righteousness, I will secure God's forgiveness for every one of you so that all of you, although you're guilty, can I get a witness right there? Although we're guilty, God's going to look at us and say, I don't see anything wrong. All I see is the righteousness of my own son, Jesus Christ. You're free. You're forgiven. Go in peace. Matter of fact, love you so much. Come nail your stockings to my mantle. I'll adopt you as my own children. This is Christmas. And here's Joseph's dilemma. Simply this. Joseph has to choose between conviction and compassion. Obviously, he's a man of conviction, a man of principle. God wouldn't let this man raise his son if he was otherwise. He's a man of conviction, but he acted with compassion because of his love for Mary. And I just want to say to strong men and women in the room, there are going to be times in dealing with your own family members when although you're right and you're within your right, love and compassion are the best answer for the situation. Even though you're taking the moral high ground, Sometimes forgiveness is the best answer. Maybe in the coming year we'll talk a little bit about grace and mercy. And, but you understand what I'm saying this morning. Here's how, here's how Joseph intends to solve his problem. In his mind, here's what he said. I'm going to put Mary away privately. I'm going to put her away because I'm my baby. And I love her, but she's doing crazy talk right now. But by the way... Men, just so you know, crazy talk comes with the package, okay? Just part of the deal. Just get used to that. A little crazy talk is part of every relationship. She's crazy talking, but it's not my baby. I don't want her hurt. I I love her. Good night. We've been walking hand in hand and sneaking a kiss every once in a while. I love her. Love to spend my whole life with this woman. She's a wonderful young lady. But I'm going to put her away, but I don't want her to get hurt. So I'm going to do it privately, secretly. Now here's the problem. They live in a small town. Anybody here from a small town? They say you don't see much in a small town. But what you hear will sure make up for it. They live in a small town. And already the tongues are beginning to talk. And people are saying... Is it just me, or does Mary look like she's got a little baby bump? Is it just me, or Joseph and Mary have been spending a lot of time on those long afternoon walks together? Is it just me, or do y'all, does Mary look like she's putting on some weight? Mm, her and Joseph have been naughty, naughty, naughty. They're a little ahead of the, you know, uh, phase, phase three. They're in phase two, but they're playing like they're in phase three. Already the talk is beginning to happen. Joseph said, I love her. The baby's not mine, but gosh, I don't want her hurt. And I don't want that little baby hurt, because if they kill her, they're going to kill the baby too. He said, I'm going to break the engagement, but I'm going to do it in such a private, discreet way that no one will know that it has happened. He's all but made up his mind, but before he actually goes through with it tomorrow, he said, I'm going to sleep on it. 
By the way, that's good advice, guys. Ladies, if you're going to make a major life decision, don't, don't be too rash. One more day is not going to hurt anything. Just sleep on it, okay? And then Joseph had a dream. Now, I've been asked before about does God still speak to us through dreams? Uh, the book of Hebrews says in times past, Hebrews chapter 1, verse, few verses, God has spoken to us through dreams and visions and signs and stars and wonders and all kinds of diverse, different kinds of ways. God communicated to people, but in these last days where we live, he has spoken to us by his son, who is also called the word of God, by the way. So I would say your number one way God's going to speak to you is through your Bible and through your prayer time and through your small group where we're, we're in a spiritual environment and the Holy Spirit's working your church time like this. But never discount that God can speak to you in other ways. That's the main way. I remember when I was in the business world and I was a businessman and I was wrestling with this. I felt like God wanted me to go in vocational ministry, but I just really wasn't sure. And Now, this is not a joke. This is real. I went to lunch one day. I was working at Zales as a diamond grader over here in Los Colinas. I went to lunch. I was sitting by myself in a burger place. And the waitress walked over to me and said, can I take your order? I said, yeah. She said, you know what? You look just like a preacher. I said, shut your mouth. She took my order and walked away. Two days later, I went to lunch. Different place. Waitress walked up to me and she said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I gave her my order. I ate lunch. And when I walked out, got in my car, started driving, went to a park, put my car in park. I had a pickup, went and sat on the tailgate. And I said, God, quit messing with me, man. You think this is funny, don't you? It happened two or three times in a week right there where I was praying, God, what's your will for my life? Random people walk up to me and said, some of pastor, but just, they're making pastoral comments. I'm like, cut it out, man. This is not funny. But he was just prodding me saying, you getting the message? Are you getting the message? Now, Joseph's made up his mind, but he goes to bed and he has a dream. Now, I have some dreams where I'm like saving the world and shooting people, so I hope my dreams aren't, you know, anyway... Uh, or falling off of cliffs. You know, those, I, I have some of those dreams, but I hope those aren't going to come true. But in his dream, very clearly, an angel appears in his dream. Let me just read it for you. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, you never know how God might be dealing with people that you know, or he might deal with you. If God is doing something, though, you'll know it's God. Does that make sense? When those waitresses said something, they didn't even know what they were saying, but I knew what was happening because God was trying to really get my, my attention. So now as he sleeps, an angel comes and speaks to him in his dream and gives him two answers. The first one is the source of her conception. Let me read it again. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Thou son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, is of the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph <clears throat> had all kinds of fears running through his mind. 
<coughs> Excuse me. He had all kinds of fears running through his mind. And I would imagine we come to Christmas time with the same kind of fears we're carrying this morning. Financial fears, emotional, relational fears, a career concern. What is, what's my future look like? I know that many of you men have called me and were like, man, I'm thinking about switching jobs. I don't know what to do. God will show you. Listen, God will show you. I don't know how he's going to communicate it to you. But when he does communicate it to you, Caleb, it's going to be as crystal clear as if God sent you a text. And you're just going to say, okay, God, now I know what I need to do next. Some of you are wrestling with other decisions and you've got some anxiety about it. Listen, I just want you to know God's at work in your life. These are real people just like you. And God's going to deal with you in a similar way. Maybe not an angel appearing in a dream, but he's going to make his will very clear to you. This is what Christmas is about. Again, that God sent his son to this earth to conquer our fears, to overcome our anxiety. So we could live without fear and without dread. Now, I I would challenge you to do something in the next couple of days. Get the first two chapters of Luke and, and of Matthew and read them and look for these words. Fear not. At least three or four times in the Christmas story. Mary, fear not. Hail thou that are highly favored. Don't be afraid about what I'm going to say to you. Why? Because if somebody turns up and says you're going to have a baby and have to tell people that it's from God, you you see what I'm saying? Angel appears to Joseph. What does he say? Fear not. About what? This decision you're wrestling with to take Mary as your wife. Fear not. Don't be afraid to do it. She's telling you the truth. Do you remember to the shepherds? Fear not. Good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they sang a song composed in heaven. You just sang it. Glory to God in the highest. There is a God who is doing supernatural things in our lives. And one of the messages of Christmas is for me to say to you from God, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of Republicans or Democrats. Don't be afraid of of interest rates, right? Don't be afraid of Russians or Chinese or Koreans. Don't be afraid of terror. Just don't be afraid. You got some tests coming back in a few weeks. Whatever it is, God's going to go with you. I got my, one of my closest friends in the world just got a really bad report. And he's struggling with this cancer again. It's come back. You know, my message is for him, don't be afraid. God's got you. And God's got you this morning. You say, well, I'm struggling with some things in my marriage and my family. Don't be afraid. You just go forward with God. He's going to show you what to do. So the angel says, here's the source of her conception. She's telling you the truth. Then the angel says, number two, here's what you need to know. Here's the character of her child. She's carrying a baby, and I need to let you know about the baby. This is an answer about Mary. She is pure and honest in it. And here's it. I want to tell you about the baby. The angel tells about both things. Here's what he says, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by of the Lord by the prophet, saying, now they quote the Old Testament right here. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which Pastor Aaron preached about. Just just recently. Two names. 
And the character of the child is revealed through the two names. Jesus, he will save his people. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now let me tell you about Jesus very quickly. Jesus is a human name. Now I know you think, well, Jesus is a name from heaven. Well, just hold on. Jesus, pronounced in Hebrew, is Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua. It's the same name as Joshua. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you read about Moses and Yeshua, Joshua, that's the same name as Jesus in the Old old Hebrew. There was a high priest in the Old Testament named Yeshua, Joshua, the high priest. Joshua was a common name. John or or, son, or Bill or Bob or, 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 you know, it's a common name in society of Israel. So uh, when, when the angel appeared and said, his name is, is his Jesus. Now the name has a meaning, but it was a man's, it was a common earthly name. What makes the name of Jesus so incredible and so unique to us is that God chose to name his son Jesus. In other words, there were a lot of Jesuses before Jesus. Matter of fact, even in our own church family, we've had some Jesuses in our church family. What made the name Jesus so special is when God got the baby book of names and he flipped it open and he said, let's see, what shall we call you? (laughs) That God chose Jesus because of the meaning of the name. The name means Jehovah will save. It means you're going to be saved from your sins. And God said, the one thing I want you to know about God coming down to be with you, He will save you from your sins. And then when Luke wrote Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name uh, 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 given among men, uh, no name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. No other name than the name of Jesus. It means He will save His people from their sins. So when God said, hey, it's Christmas, I want to name my son, I want to choose the name that conveys what the whole season is about, Jesus will save you from your sins. Now here's what's cool. God, the angel, says to Joseph, and you will call his name Jesus. Sir, you, Joseph, God has chosen you, not to be a speech maker, Not to be an orator. God's just called you to be a simple, good father. Can some of y'all just take the stress off of yourself right now? God's just called you to do well the big things he's called you to do well. Don't worry about all the other stuff. Sir, you will call his name Jesus. Sir, God has chosen you not to make speeches but to protect his son To provide for his son. Sir, God has chosen you to protect this family and provide for this family. And to give guidance to this little boy. Sir, God has chosen you to name the son of God. Now, Jeremy, you in the room right now somewhere? Jeremy was just in India. And I got sick, you know, and he had to go and do a lot of things in my stead. And I'm really appreciative for that. And one of the things that happens a lot when we travel to a foreign country is we'll go into villages and just pray with sick people and we'll just go into the homes of, of non-Christians and, and pray and love on people and, and just try to share the gospel. Jeremy was telling me a story. He said, I went to a home uh, of, a, of a Hindu family and, and we're just fellowshipping and this and that and they have a, just a new baby and, and uh, after about 
10, 15, 20 minutes of blah, blah, blah. I can't understand a word they're saying. Suddenly, they hand a baby to me. And he's like, that's beautiful. Thank you. And uh, Ezekiel said, the family wants you to name their daughter. Well, you talk about being put on the spot with some pressure. He don't have the baby name book or anything handy. Uh, he's just going through all of his old girlfriends saying, no, she turned out to be a witness. No, no, yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and he named the little girl, gave her a name. And uh, now, what a high honor, though. You know what I'm talking about? Little girl's going to have that name forever. And Jesus has a name forever. I hope you did good, Jeremy. You see what the angel's saying to Joseph? Sir, here's the baby. Here's what heaven wants you to name him. We're going to give you a little help. We're going to put you on the spot, but we're going to give you a little help. Call him the Savior of the world. Call him, here's the Messiah. Call him the Son of... Call him, this is the little man that's going to save you from your sins. Now, parents, you're going to have some tough decisions to make. Decisions that are going to impact your, your family forever. Let, let, me, let me just close quickly with, with Joseph's decisions. He made two that I see. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being roused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took to him, stage three, consummation, took to him his wife. Joseph said, yes. Joseph said, I'm in. Now, you don't understand all the implications until you talk it out like this. But Joseph made two decisions. The first one is that he said yes to the will of God, that he would be faithful to the will of God. He said, I have dreams, I have plans, I'd open another carpentry shop over in Cana, I was going to franchise this and get one down in Jerusalem, and I had dreams, and I had plans, and here's how I was going to use my MBA to its fullest, and, and here's what I was going to do, and here's how I was going to make money, and here's how I was going to live my life and plan my dreams. We're going to buy a boat and get a lake house up here at Sea of Galilee, and, 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 and I've got a, got a 20-year plan all laid out right into the shredder and what he did is he said yes to the will of God the greatest decision any of us will ever make in this life is to say yes to whatever God wants us to do with our life that's where we find meaning and purpose that's where we find happiness and joy that's where we find fulfillment and and by the way the will of God is not something that you don't want to do the will of God is what you would choose if you had enough sense to choose the very best thing for your life does that make sense? Because a lot of times we plan something that's going to be disastrous for us when it plays out. But when we do what God wants us to do, it's not going to be disastrous for us. It's going to be perfect for us. Now, let me try to wrap it up. Joseph was a quiet man. No big speeches. No sermons. But we find Joseph faithfully doing the will of God. That means leading that donkey by the halter from Nazareth all the way across Israel on foot on a journey to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. What's sexy about that? Nothing. You know what you know, being a great father to Jesus meant? It meant grabbing that donkey by the halter and walking dusty streets to go meet with H&R Block. Nothing sexy about that. But that's what faithfulness looked like. And some of you going through your everyday motions are like, I don't know that I'm a man of God. Or a woman of God, yes you are, because you're faithfully every day doing what you have to do 
to live this life so that you can serve God, so that you can make disciples, so that you can lead your family, so that you can be a good husband and a good wife and a good father and a good mother and a good grandparent. You're doing faithfully what you need to do to execute the will of God. I can see in my mind Joseph in that stable helping Mary with the baby. Big, tough guy with strong, ropey muscles with that little bitty baby. By the way, let me just ask you a simple question that maybe you've never thought about. Who do you think delivered the baby? You know what faithfulness looks like? Delivering a baby when you never delivered one. It's time. What are we going to do? I know here. Should I go get help? No, no time for that. Come here and help me. I see Joseph delivering the baby. Anybody here cut the cord? That was creepy enough to traumatize you. I tell you that. It is. I mean, I winced when I cut it like I was, like I had nerve endings in the cord or something, you know? Like I was going to feel pain in my navel when I cut it. You know, it's creepy. Uh. Imagine holding in your hands the one who holds the world in his hands. Can you imagine the coolness of that moment? Can you imagine holding a baby in your hands who's older than his mother? And the same age as his father. I mean, what, 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 what cool, unique moments faithfulness created for Joseph. He could have turned and run, but he decided to be faithful to the will of God. And he had some moments that you and I will never have. I mean, who, who else in the history of the world is ever going to hold Jesus in the palms of their hands? I mean, seriously, you talk about some cool life moments. Just, just the coolest ever. Joseph worked for two years in Bethlehem. We know that. They didn't travel after her birth, but they stayed right there. So he started framing houses and building furniture and helping out and earned a living there in Bethlehem for a couple of years. So one day somebody knocked on the door. And the kingmakers are standing in the front yard. They come into his little home and they bow on bended knee and open their treasure chests. And the Bible says, and they worshipped Jesus. They gave an offering. They presented their treasures. You know the story, right? Joseph goes to sleep that night. Let me read it. While they had departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and be there until I bring you word again. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so Joseph grabs his go bag and the treasure and Mary and the baby. And by night they go out the back way by the Via Maris, the highway to the sea, and get down to Egypt, no doubt. You say, what happened? They were there until Herod died. Had to start his business a third time. You know how hard that is? Had to build a whole new clientele in Egypt. Start his business a third time now in Egypt. And then... Word comes that Herod has died and he carries the family back to Nazareth. Now, Joseph, no recorded words, no speeches. But do you see his faithfulness? Takes his family back to Nazareth. You say, what do they do in Nazareth? Well, Jesus got to be this big now. You say, what do they do at Nazareth? Joseph takes his family, builds a business the fourth time. Starts over the fourth time. And teaches not just Jesus, but his children now. 
Joseph and sons, general contractors, teaches them the trade of their daddy. Now here's what I want to say in closing. Joseph didn't plan to sell his business. He didn't plan to raise somebody else's son. I mean, when he was dreaming about the way his life would go, adoption was not in that original dream that he had. Amen? Just what wasn't on the map. When you were 18, 19, 20, you weren't writing that into your script, I, I can imagine. No. <laughs> he could have done what so many other men have done. When Mary turned up with that little baby bump, he could have run away. Or he could have hurt her. Or he could have had her hurt. Or he could have said, you've hurt me. So I'm going to hurt you back. Executor. You've hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt you. But you know what? Love doesn't try to hurt people. And so he said, I'm going to act in love, not in vengeance. And here's the next, second big decision Joseph made. He decided to be faithful, a faithful father to the Son of God. Let me read this verse. He did not know Mary, and you know what that means, in a sexual way, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's what it means. And he called. Here's his only speech. It's not a direct quote, but we know he said it. He called his name Jesus. Now we're all mature enough here this morning to understand that Joseph didn't plan to have a baby before he had a honeymoon. That was quite a shock to his plans. That he's going to be a father before he was going to have a honeymoon. But I want to say this in closing, life does not go always as we have planned it. Amen? You say, what do you do when life doesn't go as you have planned it? You just go with God. You just say, God, I recognize you're in control. We're just going to go with it. Okay, I've got a baby. I've got a, I've got a wife. I've got a baby. I didn't plan. I'm just going to go with it. We're going to Egypt. I'm going to start my business over for it. All right. I'm not going to be stressed. I'm just going to go with it. And in the meantime, I'm going to raise this little boy as if he was my own son. Now, I want to speak to our blended families really quickly. You say, I've got a blended family. I've got his and hers and ours or whatever combination you've got. Raise them as your own. They're no longer his and hers and ours. They're just ours. Raise them as your own. And when I say raise them as your own, what I mean is love them. Do you understand what Joseph had to do? He had to love a little boy that was not really his little boy. And he had to love that little boy as if it was his own little boy. And God knew that Joseph was a man who would do that. That's why God picked him. See, God picked you to raise Lexi and Leighton because God knew you'd love them like your own. That's all. And that's why he let them come into your life. Because nobody else, listen, they could have gone somewhere where they would have been treated as stepkids. But God let them come into your life because he knew they wouldn't be treated as stepkids. I bet they got as many presents under that tree over there as your biological kids. Maybe more, I don't know. Isn't that cool though? I mean, me and Isabella come into your life in this way. You say, your kinfolk think you're crazy. I know they do. I kind of think you're crazy. <laughs> But you've adopted those little girls, that little boy, and you're treating them as if they came from your own womb. Praise God for that. That's what this is all about right now. God said, these are my people. This is the kind of people I would choose to raise my own son right here. 
these kind of people who will love people, even though they're not biologically from their own loins, as if they were. Here's what Joseph gave Jesus. He gave him protection. He gave him food in the pantry. He gave him a a good bed to sleep in at night. He taught Jesus a trade so that Jesus could support himself with his own hands. There's a gift we need to be giving to our children. Don't let college determine everything for them. You help guide their lives so that they can care for themselves. Now, this Christmas, listen carefully, we're done now. This Christmas, maybe the best gift you could give yourself just to give yourself a break and to cut yourself a little slack this year because you don't have to have it all together all the time. You don't have to be a great speech maker and the strongest and the most handsome and the... Stop it. Just stop it. You don't have to be everything to everyone all the time. I'm going to put a verse up, which is not a Christmas verse, but I want you to see this verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Y'all want to read this with me? That you aspire to lead a quiet life and to... And to work with your... Isn't that cool? You know what the Bible says to every Christian? Don't aspire to be famous and rich. And You know what the Bible commands us? Aspire to lead a quiet life. And to mind your own business. And to work with your own hands. Do you know that's exactly what Joseph did, isn't it? Just minded his own business. Worked hard. Led a quiet life, no speeches. I mean, there's nothing written. And he just did a good job being a daddy and a husband. Now, man, if, if I could do that, I've, I've lived within the will of God. And I've done what God commanded me to do. It's not about aspiring to be rich, but just aspiring to live a quiet. I asked my grandfather once. He'd come through the Pacific in World War II as a military policeman. And he would never talk about it. He just said, it's terrible. You never want to experience war. I mean, but he would never give you any details of what he did and what he saw. And I thought a lot about that, why he would never talk about it. And as quick as he could, he retired to a farm and just sat there on the front porch and listened to the Texas Rangers and grew blackberries and peaches and just lived a quiet life. And I wondered, you've seen the world, you've been at war, you've done all these things. Why do you just want to quickly run away and just, this is why right here. He had already seen enough of murder and mayhem and devastation and hate and evil. And somehow God just spoke to his heart. Man, Tom Brownie, just live a peaceful life. Love your wife and love your kids and love your grandkids and work hard. That's what life is about. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In these next couple of minutes let's just make a few decisions before we go home and enjoy family and food and friends you understanding a little more the meaning of Christmas and what some of the characters of Christmas went through to follow God their friends probably thought they were crazy their families probably rejected them but they were just faithful to the will of God I admire them so much This morning, maybe you, as you hear us talking about Jesus, 
He shall save them from, maybe that's speaking to your heart this morning and you've never really put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Christmas now. Because the Savior's come. And he resolved our problem between the law and love. And this morning, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, your problems between God's law and love are over. They're forever solved in the person of Jesus Christ. He'll be your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. And God will just nail your stocking right up by ours and just be part of the family of God. If you've never done that, I want you to pray a simple prayer of faith this morning. Let me be your guide. Take my words and make it your own prayer from your own heart. Pray like this. Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I know that the only Savior of the world is Jesus Christ. Your very name means you will save me from my sins. God, this morning, I want you to know that I believe Jesus is everything the Bible declares him to be. The Son of God who died and rose again to be my Savior. And the best way that I know how, this morning I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and wash me. I accept your forgiveness this morning. And I accept you as the Lord and Savior of my life today. Thank you for solving my problems between me and God and making us compatible, at harmony, at peace with each other today. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand quietly where you are this morning. If you want to come on bended knee and worship the Savior for a moment. Many times we say, I don't have treasure. You have knees. You have knees. Knees are just as good as treasure. Just come on bended knee and say, Jesus, I just want to worship you this morning and praise you. If you're not a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church and and you've been through starting point or you're ready to go to starting point, wherever you're at in the process, you say, I'm ready to make a commitment to the church. Live a quiet and peaceful and productive life. Being a disciple, making disciples. Why don't you come right now? Just present yourself right here to say, Pastor Aaron, Miss Leah, Susan, I don't be a member of this church. They know exactly how to help you this morning. Whatever God's speaking to your heart about, let's make our decisions right now in this moment. You come. You come. Come and join us.